Hola mi gente, bienvenidos. I'm your host Lore and this is Creepy Chisme. Some stories and info are not suitable for all, especially young children. Listen at your own risk. Hola mi gente, it's your girl Lore here to entertain on another episode of Creepy Chisme. How y'all doing? Me? <sighs> I'm recovering from almost going blind. And I'm not even kidding. Now, remember I told you the universe was out to get me. Oh, well, she ain't playing. On March 9th, she totally came at me full force. Now, if you are squeamish with eye details, like ojos, E-Y-E-I, then don't listen and skip like two minutes. What happened was, you see, what happened was, (laughs) so my contact was really old. And I knew, sorry for yelling, (laughs) I knew that I should not put them in my eye like I just knew it again this is the year of discovering my intuition and following it but you know your girls still make some mistakes sometimes so I knew I shouldn't have put them in but we were having this like fun day at work yeah crazy I know right we're gonna have a day of fun and so the kids had a half a day and then the teachers were gonna play like it was gonna be fun you know team building And I was excited because I'm like, oh, I'm going to play volleyball, scooter races, whatever. And so like, I'm like, I need my contacts. So I grabbed my contacts, put them on, and I knew I shouldn't have done it, but I did. Oh, (laughs) immediately I felt it. Like I was like, oh, like these feel horrible. They're hurting my eyes. My eyes are dry, blah, blah, blah. But I still went to work. You know, I still did. And when I got there, I was like, oh, the left one was just so blurry. I'm like, I can't even see out of it. Like, what's the point of wearing these? And so I kept them on until the kids left, which was only like three and a half, four hours. And so when the kids left, immediately I took them off. And I have rather large eyes, okay? (laughs) Don't laugh because if you're in my family, you know I have big eyes. But anyway, I have big eyes. So it's pretty easy for me to put on and take off contacts and I have been wearing them for 20 plus years no joke so (laughs) when I take my contacts out I don't need a mirror like I just like stick my fingers in and take it out so anyway I took them out and then I put my glasses on and when I put my glasses on I kind of freaked out because my left eye was still seeing blurry like you know when your contact is dirty so I was just like what the hell And so then I'm like, blink, 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 blink. It still wasn't going away. And I'm like, oh my God, I probably scratched my eye. Well, I sure did. And not just scratched. Oh my gosh. So what happened was we were having a short little meeting before the fun stuff. Because, you know, you got to do some type of work. And so as we're having this meeting, they turned the lights off and they projected something onto a screen. Well, when they turned the lights off and the projection turned on, oh my gosh. 
my eye was just like it couldn't even stay open it was just like blink 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 and every time i blinked it was literally like somebody was scratching my eye every single time i blinked which was often because it was in pain then i started watering but not as much because i've scratched my eye before and you know it, it hurts and it waters and whatever it wasn't really watering it just hurt really bad so by the time the meeting was over i ran out of the the meeting room and i was in so much pain my hands were shaking that's how much pain i was in and luckily my parents live very close to the school so i was like i need to get there <laughs> I need to get there. I couldn't drive myself because I knew there was no way I could drive. I was actually going to attempt to drive, but yeah, so I left work early. Oh, it was a journey, girl. It was a journey. What ended up happening is, <laughs> here comes the gross part. So if you skipped already two minutes, skip again. <laughs> I somehow, my dry ass contact attached itself to my cornea. And when I took it off, it ripped the bottom portion of the front layer of my cornea out so not a scratch i was missing a piece of my eyeball like <laughs> so gross yeah but i would like to say the doctors that i ran into the urgent care doctor the eye doctor the eye specialist yeah because i had yeah i had to go to all of that the eye specialist you guys were amazing amazing and you took such good care of me they all knew how much pain i was in because the even the eye specialist was like oh like he looked in my eye and he was just like i know you're in pain and i was like yes i am i was kind of sad they didn't give me a pirate patch because i wanted to live the pirate life but even though it was a really bad injury it healed rather quickly so i was out of work for a while but i want to say within four days I could open my eye again. I could see a little bit. Still recovering. They said it's going to take about a week for my vision to return completely. So yeah, I still see blurry a little once in a while. Y'all, our bodies are amazing. Like, they are so amazing. All right, enough about my eye. That was too long. <laughs> but y'all, I had to share that because that's something that happened to me this week that was really scary and traumatic. And I'm glad I went to urgent care immediately because I, I'm the type of person and I know some of you Latinos out there are the same. When we're sick or we have something wrong, we wait. Even if we have insurance, I have insurance. I have great health insurance and I still wait till the last minute until I'm dying or my eye is falling out. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so yeah, uh, but I don't know. Something inside was just like go now because you cannot deal with this pain so I went and thankfully I did because the eye specialist told me had I waited it could have gotten really bad and I could be blind in my left eye now the true test is will I ever put contacts in my eye again at first I was like hell no hell to the no but now that I'm almost to the point where I can wear the contacts again I'm like I might try it <laughs> I don't know we'll see <laughs> So today I have a fun and creepy filled show for you as always. Something a little different, but before we jump into the creepiness, I had a listener reach out to me to ask for some advice. So mi gente, I hope you can help. So this listener reached out via Instagram and they said a few times a month when they're going to sleep, as soon as they like fall asleep or are almost asleep, they kind of feel something tug or pulling on their covers from the end of the bed. Now, if they kick, 
it stops for a little bit, but then it happens again. However, if they get stern, so for example, if they say, cut the shit and leave my feet alone, something to that extent, then it leaves or it'll stop, like it will stop. Creepy as shit, I know. (laughs) So when this listener first told me this, I was like, wait, try doing this to get rid of it. Try doing this to get rid of it. And then they're like, no, no, no. Like, I don't want to get rid of it. I just want to know what it is. (laughs) And I was like, whoa, you're brave because you are. (laughs) Because hell no, if anything tugs on my sheets, I'm done. I'm out. But as I'm going through this story again, a thought popped in my head. Have you ever tried putting your bed, like the end of your bed, towards the wall? Oh, which reminds me of this really creepy story and I don't know if it's true. I'm gonna tell it. I'm gonna tell it because this is a creepy cheese man. This is the creepiest shit I ever heard, even as a child. Wait, let me fin- Oh, I got all these stories, (laughs) y'all. I'm so excited. Okay, let me finish this. Okay, so the listener wants to know. They don't want to get rid of this. They want to know- Has anybody ever experienced this? Or do you experience this? And what do you think it is? Now, immediately my thought went to playfulness. So spirit, that's playful, obviously a child spirit. So I asked them if they possibly could have a child spirit following them because I did ask them, does this happen in the same place or have you moved and has it happened in other places? And they said, yes, it has happened in, I believe they said three other places. They said that they don't know of like a child spirit that would be following them. Um, So not that. They kind of were thinking it was sort of like an imp or an elf or something like that. And you know me, I was like a duende. Like look up duende. And I've never met anybody who's dealt with actual duendes other than people I've read stories about or heard online. I mean, people truly believe in duendes. They're playful, mischievous, tricky. And so they were going to look into that. But I just, we just want to know, is anybody else experiencing this? What is it? But yeah, I thought I would help my listener out there. If you have a story to share with me, uh, message me on Instagram because then I can just forward it to uh, the this listener. Okay, let me tell you the creepy story that I thought of. So yeah, my idea was, have you ever tried putting your bed like the end of your bed, because I'm assuming that's where the tugging of the blankets occurs, unless it occurs on the side of the bed too, then that's really creepy. But then again, this listener doesn't want it to stop. But anyway, that's me saying that made me think of this story um, that happened on the south side of Chicago. Um, Now, I don't know if this is a true story because my tia sometimes would tell us some stories to scare the crap out of us just because. But family, if you're listening, do you remember this story or am I getting it right or wrong? Let me know. Um, There was this family, I don't know what their name was, and they had two girls that would sleep in the same room. The beds were like against the wall. And uh, gosh, this was so long ago. I might just be making shit up, but there was a whole... Not a hole. There was a dark spot on the wall next to their bed or in front of their bed, next or in front of their bed. One of the sisters would say that she would see things in the hole or the spot on the wall. And one night, the sister was pulled into the hole. And I don't know why I'm thinking of this story, but like they said it really happened. I don't know. I don't know. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but that's some scary shit. I mean, that's like something you see in a movie. So for somebody to say it's a true story, it really happened. Yeah, I don't know. There was also a story my tia told me of a girl who literally disappeared off the face of the earth. 
Like, her family didn't know where she went. Nobody knew where she went. Is it the same girl? (laughs) Do you see how my mind works, people? (laughs) Anyway, but yeah. So, if you can help out that listener, please message me. But that's our guess. We think it's either like an imp or a duende or a goblin-like creature that obviously has attached itself to this person. Because I know duendes, you can easily, they can easily attach to you and follow you home. All right, y'all, it's time for a creepy chisme update. Today's creepy chisme update is about a case that I don't think I've covered. Well, I know for sure I haven't covered because I'm not even going to try. But I don't think I've even talked about on here. Maybe mentioned, but never really talked about. Because the podcast serial, season one, maybe two, one and two, maybe, I don't know. They did a well enough job with explaining this case. But if you are a true crime nerd, then you know the case of Heyman Lee. If you don't know this case, I recommend you look it up or listen to the serial podcast or watch the HBO documentary on Adnan Saeed, or just look it up, The Case of Heyman Lee. Long story short, in 1999, Heyman Lee vanished, but she was later found in a wooded area. Now, the case was so huge, and definitely some tampering and witness bribing were involved. But anyway, um, Hay's ex-boyfriend, Adnan Saeed, was blamed with little evidence and he still sits in prison today for this case. So yeah, Adnan Saeed. Now I've listened to all of the serial podcast. I also read the book Adnan's Cousin Wrote, which was really good, but I still don't know what I think. However, recently, Adnan's defense has asked that DNA evidence found on Heyman Lee's clothing and some other places on her body be tested. Why this was never done before? I have no idea, but this needs to happen. This needs to happen. And if this happens, a lot of questions will be answered. So a huge moment in the true crime world. And I actually posted the full article about it on my Facebook group. Just search Creepy Chisme if you want to read that. But definitely a case that leaves you so confused. But yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that. Because I don't want to get into it. (laughs) But if you are a definite true crime fan call me up we could talk about the case and how angry it makes me but then again i don't know i feel like i've only heard a non-side and not Hay's side which is kind of tragic because we can't really hear it so hopefully this dna will be her coming back to tell us like hey it wasn't a non it was so and so i don't know See, but I told you, it's confusing and I don't know what I think about it. That was a a good update to hear, so hopefully we can uh, hear soon about those DNA results. All right, you guys, it is time to get creepy. Uh, I wanted to do something a little fun because I'm recording today on St. Patrick's Day. Yes. Any Irish people out there? I have some listeners from Ireland. Not many. (laughs) Maybe one or two. (laughs) But you're still listening. So, yeah. The um, St. Patrick's Day. Now, I live around Chicago. So, in Chicago, and I don't know if this is everywhere, but in Chicago, it doesn't matter if you're black, white, Puerto Rican, orange, yellow, green, blue. If you live around Chicago... You celebrate St. Patrick's Day. 
okay? And that's how we grew up. Especially the Latinos out here, especially the Southsiders, they love celebrating St. Patrick's Day. So yeah, a lot of people, you know, they'll wear, wear green and dress up or whatever. We do that here, okay? I don't know if it's here. I don't know if it's everywhere. But I was pretty shocked to hear that some people don't even celebrate it. So, <laughs> of course, it's more mainstream now, but it is a Catholic holiday. I mean, it's called St. Patrick. Where my uh, Catholic school kids at? You probably could tell us what St. Patrick actually did because I don't know. But I'm assuming something with the poor, right? Because isn't that what saints usually do? Help the poor or do something of that nature? Well, anyway, the best part of St. Patrick's Day is those funny little dudes running around in green coats. Leprechauns. Now, leprechauns have always scared the shit out of me. And it possibly has to do with that creepy-ass little movie called The Leprechaun. Yeah. But I started thinking... Leprechaun, like where did that come from? So I wanted to get a little research done. And yes, they fall into the realm of elves, which I've recently discovered a whole community of people that believe in elves and fairies. Like it's a real thing. It's, yeah, it's wild. Don't knock it till you research it, okay? <laughs> now these creatures started being referenced in the 8th century, the Celts. I learned how to say it because I was saying the Celtics the other day and my brother was like, you know, it's not Celtics, it's Celts. Celtics? Whatever. So, <laughs> so the Celts told legends of these tiny little water dwellers and the name Leprechaun is claimed to have come from the word Lucurpan. I think I said that right, meaning a small body, which according to legend, they can be anywhere from two to three feet tall. And you can find yourself a leprechaun, if you're lucky enough, in a hollow tree trunk or in tiny underground caves. Now their name has also been linked to an old term, Leith Brogan, which means shoemaker, which is how they make their gold. Cha-ching! That's where the whole story of leprechauns being obsessed with shining shoes or looking at your shoes, yeah, that's where it comes from. So yeah, so they shine the shoes, make the shoes, whatever, and then they get the gold. Hey, <laughs> I want to know where the gold at. You guys ever see that video? Oh, it's so great. If you've never seen this video, go to YouTube right now, pause this podcast, search leprechaun in tree and watch that video. <laughs> you will thank me. All right. Now, anyway. <laughs> Now, even though these creatures are imaginary, many truly believe in leprechauns and elves and fairies, like I said. Now, they are woodland folk, however, over the years, they've become an old little man in a green suit. Fun fact, leprechauns actually used to wear red, not green. Green came most likely because of the color green in Ireland, which I've heard is a sight to see. And if you've been lucky enough to see it, I envy you, but in a good way. Now, also, rarely you will find a female leprechaun because apparently they don't exist. But then I read that they do exist, but there's not many. Now these wee lads are known to be traviesos, for sure, little troublemakers, and they're known to deceive and warn against greed. Now legend says if you find one, they must grant you three wishes, but beware, they may fool you. So today you can find leprechauns all over, movies, on cereal boxes, everywhere. But the root of the leprechaun comes from Ireland. Dublin even has a museum dedicated to this mythical creature. Now to me, this legend is and was 
always one of my favorites, especially as a child. And like I said, growing up around Chicago, we love celebrating St. Patrick's Day. We even dye the river green in downtown Chicago. It's really cool. Couldn't really find any like real encounters with leprechauns. I didn't want to get into the elf thing yet, but maybe one day. Facts that I found, they like to drink. <laughs> Which is why some of them get a little rough and rude. So they're little drunks. And there's actually different kinds of leprechauns. Remember, there's a whole community country of people who believe in leprechauns. But yeah, that's. I just wanted to share those little facts about leprechauns and where it came from because it was a thought I had. And so I looked it up and I wanted to share it with you. But let's start what you came here for. Today we are taking a trip into the wild, wild west. Howdy, partner. <laughs> and we're going to visit some ghost towns. First up, we have Tombstone, Arizona. Now today I have a lot of history to talk about, of course, because these towns are from the 1800s, um, but believe me, the stories are great, so I hope you stay tuned. So let's talk about Tombstone, Arizona. I've always wanted to go to Arizona, and I actually thought about going for spring break to go to this ghost town, but it's in the middle of nowhere, literally. <laughs> but anyway, uh, in 1877, a man by the name of Ed Shiflin founded the city of Tombstone. Now, Ed was part of a group that was fighting the indigenous Apache tribe in the area. So he pretty much stole it, is what they're saying. We know how that goes. And he was a bit obsessed with scouting the land in search of gold, of course, on his free time. And the lucky bastard ended up finding a whole mine, but not of gold. He found silver. Now, as a joke, he named the mine Tombstone. Because when Ed would go off on his little voyages on his free time to look for gold, his friends used to make fun of him for searching for it and would tell him that the only thing he'd find is his grave. So, as a joke, he chose to name the town Tombstone. Well, the mine. He chose to name the mine Tombstone. And of course, how it used to work back then is somebody would find a piece of gold or a piece of silver and then they just start digging in. So, of course, the word spread quickly and the people flocked to the area. And by 1879, a nearby town to the mine was created known as Goose Flats, which later became known as Tombstone, named after the mine. Now, by the mid-1880s, over 20,000 people lived near the mine. That's a lot of people. But this consisted of mostly white men in their 20s some women, and children. Now, the town consisted of a hundred saloons, lots of eateries, a giant red light district, <laughs> a lot of Chinese residents, a lot of churches. It was an up-and-coming, booming place. They even had schools, a huge community swimming pool, which was very odd. It's still in use today, believe it or not. <laughs> so it was thriving for sure, and even today, it's still known as one of the fastest growing cities to ever come up in America. Now, because in America, everyone was moving to the West, economic tensions grew, right? And Tombstone was feeling it. So this political power struggle kind of grew in the town. On one part of the city 
was the Cowboy Ranchers, known as the McLaurys, and the Claytons. And they were in cahoots with the county sheriff, John Behan. Then on the other side of town was the wealthy businessmen and mine owners, including Morgan, Wyatt, and Virgil Earp. Now Virgil was the town marshal in Tombstone. So these two sides, they didn't get along, as you can imagine. And they both kind of blamed each other for the corruption that was happening in the town. Because, you know, there's a lot of brothels, a lot of gambling, a lot of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Or is it sex, drugs, and banjo? (laughs) Ooh, I'm on a roll tonight. Okay, now because of this rift in the town, though, it is the reason Tombstone is so well known today. And I will get into that in a second. Now, before we get into the major events that took place in the town, let's talk a little bit about some of the places in the town. Let's start with the OK Corral. Now, the phrase OK, this is actually interesting. (laughs) The phrase O.K originated from Pennsylvania, Dutch country of New York State in the 1800s. Now, today, the term is one of the most used phrases in the world, President Van Buren used the OK abbreviation in his campaign for re-election. Now, Van Buren was supported by a political club in his hometown of Old Kinderhook. The club was known as Old Correct, but later changed to Old Kinderhook, and eventually abbreviated as O.K. OK. Supporters used this phrase in support of Van Buren, who they saw as above average above average or outstanding. So it was then used in political slogans and during the campaign. Of course, Van Buren did lose his re-election, so he must have not been that outstanding treated. But the term okay was seen as a joke after that, or not proper. That is until sometime after the Civil War, it made its way back, and that's why John Montgomery chose to name his saloon OK Corral, Livery and Stable in February of 1879. Now, a little off tangent, I know, but I thought that was really interesting because I didn't know that that's where the OK abbreviation came from. So in October of 1881, a tragedy occurred in Tombstone. Now, around this time, they had outlawed guns being carried in public, which I find really strange. So the Earps... Uh, had heard a rumor that there were some cowboys hanging in town and they had some guns. So they went to disarm this gang of cowboys who were seen hanging out in a, like, kind of a little lot behind the OK Corral. So the cowboys were their rivals, remember? The McClary's and the Claytons. Oh, shit. Imagine hearing a disturbance and then finding out it's someone you can't stand. Like, you show up and you're just like, oh, not you. So that's kind of what happened right here because they show up and they're like, damn it, it's the McClary's and the Clintons. They probably would have said it like that too, right? Anyway, so along with the herbs was another man and his name was Doc Holliday. Now Doc Holliday, he was a town dentist, but although he was a dentist, he was known to be a drunk and a gambler. Small town living, I guess. But that's not all because Doc Holliday was also known as something else. He was known as the fastest pistol in the West. And that that was his real nickname. (laughs) I didn't just say that to be funny. Like, it's his nickname was the fastest pistol in the West. So I guess he's a dentist you don't want to mess with. So the Earps and Holiday, they show up, each armed with a pistol, cheapskates, because you're not supposed to have a pistol, but they each had a pistol. And somehow, Holiday also had a shotgun 
in his undercoat. Now on the cowboy side, only two of the five men were carrying a pistol. They also had a friend with them known as Billy Claiborne. So these two groups of rivals meet and one of the Earps is like, hands up, I'm here to disarm you. And then one of the Claytons yells, don't shoot, I don't wanna fight. Probably because he saw the fastest pistols in the West. You know, Doc Holliday, he's just like, uh-uh, I don't wanna fight y'all. <laughs> so someone called someone a son of a bitch and those is fighting words around these parts and that's when shots were fired. Now, no one claims to know who shot first, but I'm gonna take a wild guess here. Mr. Quick Pistol himself has guilt all over his quick little hands. So yeah. <laughs> so within 30 seconds, Billy Clinton, Thomas McCleary, and Frank McCleary were dead. 30 seconds, three people. Now Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday were charged with the murder. The town goes crazy. The cheese is flying, people are fighting, arguing. There's The town is split because they're like, they're not guilty, they're guilty. Oh, it was a mess. However, the men's testimonies had the people very confused and eventually the men were acquitted. Over time, the actions of these two men were seen as heroic to some. To some others, they were seen as, well, they pissed off a lot of other people. How about that? Now, today you can still visit this exact location where the 30-second gunfight happened behind the OK Corral. And they even have human-sized dolls in the exact spots where the men stood. Pretty interesting. Now, the Earps were also injured in the fight, but it wasn't over for them. So only a few weeks after the gunfight, Virgil Earp was gunned down while crossing the street. Now he survived, but he lived out the rest of his life disabled. And the following year, a few months after the shooting in 1882, Morgan Earp was shot in the back in the alley of a saloon, and he died from the wound. So someone is trying to get revenge, obviously, and so that pisses off Wyatt Earp. So he is like, mmm, my brother's. So he's so pissed that between March and April of 1882, he goes on a cowboy killing spree. Oh yes, every day he's just out there riding his horse, just killing cowboys, looking for the ones that killed his brothers. And because of this, Wyatt and Doc Holliday, who joined in on the fiasco as well, were wanted men. Mm -hmm. So they pack up and of course they leave Tombstone, Arizona only leaving behind their legend. Yeah, so they just take off. <laughs> That's crazy, right? <laughs> the wild, wild west. Really was wild, y'all. So yeah, that 30-second gunfight is really a big part of Tombstone history, and many paranormal experts say that there's a lot of activity behind the OK Corral and in that specific area where Virgil was shot. Now, you can find more paranormal activity in a saloon in Tombstone, known as Big Nose Kate's. Yes, Big Nose Kate's. <laughs> Big Nose Kate's Saloon, sorry. But back then it was known as the Grand Hotel. So the legend says the McClary brothers were guests at this hotel the day before the gunfight. Now today the saloon is named after Kate's elder, or better known as Kate Holiday. Yes, 
Holiday. So Kate claimed to be the only wife of Doc Holiday, and Kate was well known to be an accomplice in Doc's games. So this saloon today has a lot of high levels of paranormal activity. A lot of the staff have been touched, shoved, poked, you name it, by something they can't see. Now one worker was even choked one time by something. A lot of the bartenders claim sometimes that drinks levitate off of their drink trays, chairs move on their own, objects fall off of shelves, tables for no reason. Some staff have even quit due to the high volume of activity in the saloon. One bartender while closing one night, he even encountered a cowboy sitting at the bar. And when he asked him to leave, the man vanished. Ooh. <laughs> but also here at Big Nose Kate's is the creepiest legend in the town. Now the legend of Swamper. Now Swamper was an older gentleman who found work at the saloon as the janitor. And along with this position, they were nice enough to give him a room in the basement of the saloon. Well, many years later, when they began to renovate, they found out that Swamper was digging tunnels under the saloon. And they think that he was trying to reach the mine to find silver. Now he was successful in reaching the mine to bring in a few silver pieces, but no one knows what happened to his treasure and his cash. Some think that it's still hidden in one of the tunnels under the saloon. Now staff say the janitor spirit still lingers in that basement. Staff have also claimed to hear noises and voices coming from the tunnels that were dug. Creepy. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about another paranormal hotspot in Tombstone, Arizona. This one's my favorite. Y'all thought that 30 second gun story was crazy? Wait till you hear this one. So the Birdcage Theater. It was the most popular theater in Tombstone and that might have been because it was more than just a theater. It was a gambling hall, saloon, and a brothel. And any woman with self-respect would never step foot in this location. Such prudes, okay? <laughs> They're just having a good time. Now it was open 24 hours a day from 1881 to 1889. So why the name Birdcage? Now apparently inside they had these cages on the second floor. Well, they looked like cages where ladies of the night would entertain from. Now each boxer cage had drapes where the woman could then close <clears throat> and um, take care of business and entertain their clients, if you know what I mean. Now, they also had a main stage on the main floor with a full orchestra pit, and many famous legends performed on this stage, such as Lillian Russell, Lotta Crabtree, and Eddie Foy Sr. I'm not from the 1800s or the 1900s, so I don't really know any of those people, but they were famous. Now the Earps, the Clantons, and even Doc Holliday spent a lot of time here. In the basement, it was set up for poker. And it's actually at this location that the longest game of poker known to date took place. So the game was played 24 hours and lasted 8 years, 5 months, and 3 days. Over 10 million was exchanged during this game. And the game only ended when the basement flooded. <laughs> yeah, water started seeping into the mines and flooded many of the buildings in the lower levels. So that's why the game stopped. In 1889, along with the town, the theater closed. So over 26 people died in this theater. 
There was a lot of shootouts. You could actually today see lots of bullet holes in the walls, a lot of stabbings, suicides, you name it, it's probably happened here. Now the most infamous murder was done by one of the ladies of the night. So the story goes that in 1882, Billy Milgreen was caught entertaining a woman named Margarita by another lady named Gold Dalla. Oh my God, that, that name is amazing. Gold Dalla. So Gold Dalla is just chilling there watching Billy Milgreen flirting with Margarita. Now Milgreen was a regular of Gold Dollar, so she snapped when she saw him with another girl. So Gold Dollar kind of had a reputation for being a gutsy girl. Mm -hmm. Now, believe it or not, she was actually very tiny, but it's always the tiniest that are brave, you know? So she was a force to be reckoned with. So she's sitting there watching Margarita entertain her man, and Margarita goes to sit in Billy's lap. And Gold Dollar wastes no time. She runs over, she grabs Margarita by the hair, and she stabs her right in the chest with a double-edged stiletto. And she don't just stab her, she hacks at her chest. Now Gold Dollar fled the scene immediately before the marshal shows up and because the marshal didn't see her commit the crime, she was free. Yes, the good old days. So they found no weapon on her. So they were just like, well, we didn't see it and she doesn't have a knife, so she's free. Oh my god. So yeah, so the ghost of Margarita is only one of the madams that haunt the building. Many years later, someone claimed to find Gold Dollar's weapon behind the theater, where technically they claim to now have it on display. So another spirit seen at the Birdcage Theater is the Lady in White, a proper woman, which is odd because it's a brothel. <laughs> it's a brothel saloon. She wears a white dress and a white bonnet and no one really knows who she is. Now some other paranormal findings here are that some historical relics disappear and then reappear. Some employees say that they get smells of smoke randomly and many of the employees here say that the ghosts that linger here are just having a good old time not hurting anybody. Now the last place I want to dive into in Tombstone, Arizona is the Boot Hill Graveyard. Now, most of the individuals I talked about can be found laid to rest in the Boot Hill Graveyard. Tom McCleary, Billy Clayton, Frank McClurry, and Margarita. So it's named Boot Hill simply for the fact that people used to be buried in their boots. <laughs> people were really dumb back then when naming things, I swear. Not creative at all. But from 1878 to 1884, the cemetery was used, but eventually a new one was built because it kind of ran out of space. Now here, many have reported seeing shadows, strange lights, and a lot of noises. So in the gift shop, items move on their own, clothes racks move randomly, strange things have been captured by picture. One legend is that each night, Billy Clayton rises from the grave, roams tombstone, but <laughs> that's just a legend. Now, others have actually seen spirits hovering over the grave sites, but the most notorious spirit is the godfather of Tombstone, aka the Lady in Red. Yes, the godfather of Tombstone is actually a woman, and the most activity around Boot Hill happens during the daytime. A lot of stuff moving, a lot of things happening that they can't explain, so pretty creepy. 
Now, even though Boot Hill is a real cemetery, it was restored by Boy Scouts in the 1920s. Go Boy Scouts! (laughs) So there are some skeptics that think not all famous legends from Tombstone are actually buried there, which kind of makes sense, especially if it's now become like a tourist attraction. But people also believe that there's hidden treasure in this cemetery, but that's not the first story of hidden treasure in Tombstone. Today you can visit Tombstone. It's become a tourist attraction, like I said, and paranormal hotspots full of legends and lore history and a lot more and if you're brave enough to visit make sure to check out ok corral the birdcage theater big nose kate saloon and boot hill cemetery there's a lot of other places i didn't talk about but these were the ones i found most interesting um today tombstone is considered one of the most haunted places in the wild west and it's even nicknamed the town too tough to die known for its dead gunslingers, sharpshooters, and more. They do offer ghost tours, and I would definitely sign up for that. So yeah, Tombstone, Arizona, would you go? I would. I would love to go to a a Wild West ghost town. But unlike Tombstone, Arizona, which is now more so a tourist attraction, there's a lot of ghost towns out there that are just left to decay. One of those towns was known as Bodie in California. It was one of the biggest towns during this time, and the town is claimed to have been cursed. Today, it's a complete ghost town, emphasis on the ghost part. Only the brave visit this town today. So it's a little park uh, cared for by park rangers now. It is in decay. I don't think you can go in most of the buildings, but there are some you can still go into. So a little history again before we start the ghost stories. In 1857, a prospector discovered gold deposits on the eastern side of the Sierra foothills. Now, one of the prospectors was Waterman S. Bodie. He was actually from New York, Poughkeepsie. I love saying Poughkeepsie. He is from Poughkeepsie, New York, but he was living the dream to find gold, just like everybody else was during the gold rush. However, one day Bodie got caught in a really bad snowstorm in November 1857 while he was making a trip for some supplies. Bodie ended up getting lost and then froze to death. Now, Bodie was very much liked and respected by the other prospectors, and so this was a pretty big tragedy. Unfortunately for Bodie, he never would get to see the town become what it became. And yes, if you're wondering if the town's name is to honor him, it is. Now the town grew very quickly, as most mining towns did, and it sat at over 8,000 feet in the mountains. It ended up having a hundred or more buildings with an amazing scenic view. But because it was so high up in the mountains, it was pretty hard to get to and not an easy way up from the nearest town. Now because the town grew so big with that comes a lot of people full of life and also a lot of death. From gunshot wounds, from gun shootings, to many accidents, and a lot of sickness. A lot of strange deaths in Bodie, to be honest. But within time, the ghost stories started flowing. So after World War II, when the mine shut down, there were only a few residents left behind. Now when I say few, I mean few. I mean six. Six residents were left in Bodie after World War II, and oddly enough, out of the six, five of them tragically passed away. And by tragically, I mean one man killed his wife, and then three of the other people got pissed and went to kill the man as revenge. Now legend says that the ghost of the man they killed haunted the three murderous men, and all three men shortly passed 
of a natural disease. One died from a huge gash on his face that got infected. One died from his head swelling. And the third man died the strangest of all. He went missing and days later was found dead alone in a ravine. So yeah, just a glimpse of the murder and the strange deaths that continuously occurred during Bodhi's town life. But what about this curse? Now, I truly believe in curses, so let's hear this. So the legend of the Bodhi curse states that if you take anything, anything, a rock, a pebble, anything from this town, bad luck will follow. Now, this curse is rather new, believed to be created by the park rangers um, so that people won't steal from the park. But the curse is very believed by park rangers. They actually keep a log in the park museum from people who have attempted to test this curse. So yeah, people take things and then they end up coming back to return those items because of bad luck. Some visitors even write apology letters to the spirits of Bodhi. Another theory of this curse is linked to the spirits of the town. So one of the largest and wealthiest properties in the town of Bodhi was owned by John S. Kane. Now the story of this house is that John had a maid and she was of Chinese descent, and it was rumored in the town that John was having an affair with the maid, which led many to outcast her, talk smack, and treat her poorly. Why is it always the woman's fault? That's what I want to know. But yeah, so the town was really mean to her. So mean, in fact, that the poor maid ended up taking her own life. Now, many have claimed to see this maid's spirit standing in the window of the home, staring out from the now abandoned house. Another haunted property is known as the Gregory House. Now a spirit of an elderly woman has been seen in this home even one time sitting and knitting. Honestly, she sounds like a very chill ghost. Like I always said that if my house were to be haunted, I hope it's a chill ghost that I can just chill and relax with. Now the park rangers are the ones who experience the most activity, of course. The most active place is the mine itself. Now today it's closed and no one can go into it due to safety conditions. Not that anybody would want to go because the park rangers have heard some very disturbing things from the mines. Disembodied voices, screaming, sounds as if people are still working in the mine. And the strangest story of all, they see a white mule that wanders around the mine. Now legend says that the mule actually used to work with the mine, but died because of a broken back. Which, can I just say, I know mules and donkeys can carry like a lot of stuff on them, but I didn't know that they can actually like break their back. But it makes sense, I never thought about that. Poor mule. So there is another house here in Bodhi where children have been seen playing outside of it. And when you walk past, you can hear children and adults talking and laughing. Now, a park ranger who actually lived in the house for some time says that he would sometimes get a whiff of yummy cooking, like food. And y'all, at night, something would tug on the bed sheets. But... <laughs> The park ranger was like, it doesn't scare me because I know it's the children of the house. What? <laughs> that scares me even more that it's children. <laughs> and last but not least, Bodhi, like most mining towns, has a very large cemetery. And of course, plagued with its own ghosts. Now, one spirit in particular is known as Evelyn. Evelyn Myers, and she has been seen hanging around her grave. Now, Evelyn died at age three 
after a freak accident. Y'all, this is crazy. At age three, she was accidentally struck in the head with a pickaxe. Ugh, like what the hell? How does that happen accidentally? Now she's been seen playing in the cemetery around her grave and has also been known to appear to children visitors. She loves kids. Now today the town of Bodhi sits in disrepair. There's no helping this town. And it's now become a historic park that you can visit. But like I said, it's pretty far away from town so it's a journey to get there. But the views are amazing. Now cared for by park rangers and visited by those only brave enough to enter it. Now I did, I'm not going to do a listener story today because I kind of did it in the beginning because I really wanted to get that question out there for my fellow listener to get some help. Hopefully someone can answer his question of what is tugging his sheets at night. <laughs> but I hope y'all enjoyed this. It was a little different, a little history, a lot of legends, a lot of ghosts. Ooh. The haunted wild west always intrigues me, but the towns are so old that a lot of the ghost stories are, you can't really fact check them. Um, so it's a lot of legend. And so you can't really find a lot of information on ghost towns in the wild, wild west. So if you know any or you have any, I would love to hear them. So always remember you can email me at creepychisme for you. That's the number 4YOU at gmail.com. Don't forget to also find me on Instagram, Facebook groups, and TikTok where I post more short scary stories. Um, but yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed hearing those historical stories and those legends. Those legends have been carried on throughout the years and it's crazy to think that these towns were once booming and the place to be, the hot spot, and now they just sit empty. Well, not empty, because the ghosts are there, right? <laughs> I always thought it would have been cool to live in a Western town in the 1800s, but let's be honest, I would have been a barmaid or some shit. I would have been like in the brothel or something. <laughs> have a great week, everybody. Happy spring! It's spring today! Get out, get some fresh air, go visit a ghost town or something, and then write me about it. <laughs> Gracias por escuchar, y nos vemos pronto! Creepy Chisme is created for entertainment purposes only. Thanks for listening, and don't forget... Stay creepy and spread the chisme. Adios, mi gente.